0: The scripture for today is matthew 5 verses 1 to 10. now when jesus saw the crowds he went up on the mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. Let's pray with that passage open in front of us. God, as we begin a new series today as a church, we ask for the filling of your Spirit. Open our eyes, open our hearts to see and to experience Jesus in these words. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today we begin a new sermon series and we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is most famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. We get that title from the first couple of verses jesus goes to a mountainside and he gives a teaching this is one of the longest teachings about uh that we have from the person of jesus and if there was one word to summarize what all of this is about it's discipleship in the sermon on the mount jesus is giving his doctrine for discipleship and this is why we're looking at it as a church today about 70 years ago, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany, right leading up to World War II, and he wrote a really helpful book on the topic of discipleship. And in the beginning of that book, he said that the most urgent question facing the church is a question of discipleship. How do we follow Jesus in the modern world? How do we follow Jesus in the midst of all the pressures and the challenges? that we face. And as I've been thinking about London and as I've been thinking about our church going into this post-pandemic future, I think that question is as vital as it's ever been. There's been all kinds of hardship and transition personally, communally, socially, both because of isolation and because of questions raised by the pandemic, new habits and rhythms that are being formed in our lives. We want to be together and yet some of us have forgot how to do that. There have been questions raised related to how people get together, tribalism, racism, political strife. There's also the need for the ongoing spiritual disciplines that help us grow closer to God. And all of these things, as we think about following Jesus today, the question of discipleship is as relevant as it's ever been. And so, for the next 13 weeks, we're going to take a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount and ask the question what does it look like? to follow Jesus today. Now, if you're here in person or on Zoom, and you don't identify as a Christian, this is an incredibly important series for you. Because here, from the mouth of Jesus, unfiltered, you get a glimpse into what the Christian life is all about. This is about as good a place as any in the whole Bible to know what being a Christian means. So if you're here, stay with us, journey with us and explore this question even as you explore the faith. If you are here today and do identify as a Christian, I hope that this series will be like a cup of cold water splashed in our face. And you say, well, that's not very nice, but we need it. Because the Sermon on the Mount, what it does is it cuts through our apathy and our ritualism, And it shows us the passionate pursuit of people who are boldly following Jesus, not just going through the motions, but actually experiencing the life-transforming power of Jesus coursing through their veins, almost like an electric dynamism that can't be ignored or dismissed. And friends, don't we want that? The church is most effective in loving and serving its community. We will be most effective in loving and serving London to the degree that we're shaped by the Sermon on the Mount. And so as a church, I can think of few passages in the Bible that are as crucial and as relevant for us as this one for our life together today. Now, we begin our series right here in the very beginning of the sermon. You just heard me read the first 10 verses. These are commonly known as the Beatitudes. And the task that I've given myself today is a very <clears throat> enormous one. It's to try to cover all eight of these Beatitudes In one sermon. So I'm going to do my best, but here is the outline as we approach the Sermon on the Mount. and As we come to the Beatitudes today, here's the outline for our sermon. First, we're going to see why do you need them, these character traits that Jesus has given. Second, what they are. What do they actually mean? And then third, how can they be true of you? So why we need them, what they are, and how they can be true for you today. So first, why is it that we need these Beatitudes, these character traits of the follower of Jesus? Now, we have to start with this question because if we don't see the relevance of these verses, we're going to miss something of their importance. Why are they useful? Why are they needed for life today in a place like London? And that question is all the more interesting when you realize just how different the setting is for what Jesus gave this teaching to where we are today. We're sitting in a building or in front of our computer screens. Jesus was sat atop a mountain. We are in an urban center, one of the most globalized cities in the world. Jesus was teaching in rural Israel. He was teaching people who are mostly isolated and an agrarian community. We are professional, globalized very interconnected. I mean, in some ways, our world couldn't be more different today than the world that Jesus uttered these words first in. And yet, that means that if the words of Jesus have something to say to us, it's because he's tapping into something that is fundamental to our humanity. Something so core that it's going to be true for all people at all times, in all places. And that's what we find here. Because what is Jesus saying? Well, if you look at the passage, you notice that starting in verse 3, all the way to verse 10, every beatitude or every character trait begins with the word blessed. And I want to call your attention to that word blessed. In the Greek, that word doesn't mean someone to whom good things happen. Sometimes when you hear the word blessed, you might think, oh, that's someone who a lot of good things have happened to. But the word blessed actually means something a little bit more profound. It means someone who is enviable, someone who is congratulated. Jesus is saying the person who's blessed to be blessed is the kind of person that you look at and you say, I wish I had that kind of life. They're the person who's figured it out, who's doing it right. They're the person who in the ancient Greek world, we might have said they've experienced the good life not just a happy life, superficial and circumstantial, but a deep sense of gladness and joy. They figured out how the world works. There's something good, inherently good, about that person. And Jesus is saying, blessed is the person. The good life is experienced by the person for whom these attributes are true. And that's why we need the sermon, because all of you, are spending a lot of time and energy trying to find the good life, trying to find a sense of joy and satisfaction, not based on circumstances, but something that keeps your heart safe even in the midst of the worst circumstances. A kind of soul gladness that can't be shaken and can't be lost. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, these character traits, this is the path to the good life. And what I would suggest for us today is that for many of us, the deep discontentment that you feel, that deep sense of longing, the reason why maybe on Instagram or on social media or even looking at friends, you feel often a sense of envy. Oh, I wish my life was a little bit different. I wish things were a little bit better. It's not because you're longing for the wrong things. It's because we're going about them the wrong way. And what Jesus says in my kingdom, discipleship following me is upside down. As we're about to look in depth at these beatitudes, we're going to see the values of Jesus are not the values of our world. And yet Jesus says, this is the pathway towards the ultimate good life. This is the pathway towards ultimate blessing. And so that's why we need them, because we're pursuing this kind of life anyway. And Jesus, the master teacher, says, in my kingdom, this is what's going to lead to joy and to flourishing. So let's examine what they are. Now, this is point two of our sermon. What are these character traits? What is Jesus commending? What is he talking about? There's eight Beatitudes, eight character traits. And in the span of about 10 or 12 minutes, I'm going to do my best to give you an overview of all of them. I feel myself to have an enormous task, but it'll be fun. So let's give it a go. Two things to say by way of introduction before we get into the nitty gritty of each one. First, hear me, each of these character traits are meant to describe every follower of Jesus all the time. It's not that some followers of Jesus are supposed to be meek and others are supposed to be pure in heart and still others are meant to be poor in spirit. Jesus is saying, you're my follower, if all of these characteristics are true of you all the time. So we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to say, this week I'm focusing on poor in spirit, and next week I'm going to focus on meekness. These eight traits describe a comprehensive picture of the disciple. Second thing to say by way of introduction, these are character traits. Jesus is not first and foremost describing behaviors. He's talking about what a disciple is more than what a disciple does. We have to start there. It's important to begin with being before doing. It's important to say, as we will in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Christians do. That's what the rest of the sermon is about. This is what life looks like as a person who follows Jesus. But before you get there, we start with, this is the kind of person you must be before you talk about the actions, So all the disciples, all the time, character traits. So let's take a look at all eight. First, blessed are the poor in spirit. Right off the bat, Jesus is shocking us because not many of us would say, the good life is the poor life. But remember, Jesus's values are upside down. And so he says, the people who are most enviable are those who recognize their poverty of spirit. Now, Jesus is not here describing a relationship to material possessions. He's describing a posture of the heart in your approach to God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. A posture of the heart in your relationship to God. To be poor in spirit means to recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt. That as you face God you have nothing to bring to the table. You have nothing to offer. You have nothing to stand on. You have no merit by which you can claim a standing or a relationship with God himself. And actually for many of us, if we're honest, this is a hard pill to swallow because most of us think of ourselves as middle class in spirit. We think of ourselves and we look at our lives and what we say is, yeah, I've done some bad things. I know there's some parts of my life that I'm not proud of, but there's also a lot of really good stuff that I do. There's also a lot of ways that I'm a really great person. And so on balance, there's a little bit more good about me than bad about me. And so, of course, God must accept me. Of course, God must receive me. Of course, God must not let bad things happen in my life because look at the kind of person that I am. We're middle class in spirit functionally, if not even theoretically. And Jesus says, if you want to know what life is like in my kingdom, it starts with a recognition that actually you are spiritually bankrupt. Not only do you have nothing to approach God, but even as you look at the good things that you've done, being poor in spirit means that you've probably done them for the wrong reasons. There were mixed motivations. There were impure desires, even in the best things that we've done. And so Jesus is first calling for a recognition that in our approaching God, we have nothing to offer and nothing to bring. The anthem of the poor in spirit is that old hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So this is shocking. This is hard. When you apply for a job, what do you do? You pad your resume. You go down deep to find anything you can think of that's awesome about you. Jesus says that attitude, at least as we face God, is completely reversed. Those who are esteemed in the kingdom are those who recognize they have nothing to bring and nothing to give. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Next, and by the way, these Beatitudes build, they flow, there's a logic. Next, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn. Again, Jesus is surprising us. Happy are the unhappy. What does it mean to mourn? Now, Jesus is describing a deep grief and a kind of sadness because of sin. Sin that is experienced in your own life, but also sin that it's experienced in the lives of people around you. And ultimately, sin as it's experienced in the world. So what is sin? In a nutshell, sin is a kind of self-absorption that says to God, I'll do it my way. It's a kind of rebellion against God. It's a a way of saying to God, we will be our own Lord and master. And the person of whom this beatitude is true, sees the ugliness of sin in their own life and sees the effects of sin in our world. Broken relationships, broken people, the impact of sin, for example, even the bringing of death into our world. And a person sees that and they mourn, they're deeply grieved, but friends, hear me. This morning it's not because you got caught. It's not because of the consequences of sin. It's because of what sin is itself. It's an affront to the character of God. It's not just doing something wrong, but it's breaking a heart. It's breaking God's heart. And the person of whom this beatitude is true is saying, oh, I'm not just sad that I got busted or I got caught or I experienced these negative consequences, but I see how my sin has actually hurt the very character of God himself by living in such a way that is a contradiction of who he is and what he's about. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus says, brokenness in the presence of sin. Third beatitude, blessed are the meek. Again, a little surprising. Meekness is the unassuming humility of a person who knows that they have nothing to offer and yet have been loved anyway. Now, meekness is not weakness. If You hear the word meekness, sometimes you might think of a quiet, maybe timid person. Oh, they're so meek. Sometimes the meekest people are also the strongest because to be meek, you have to have such a high degree of confidence in your identity in God that you can be wrong, that you can be hurt, that you can be overlooked, and you don't know to always be on the defensive. But you can actually allow people to come into your life and have relationships in which you are not the most important thing, in which you don't have to always be the center of attention. You can actually love others and be truly interested in them for their sake, not always needing to prop yourself up and defending yourself. And in that way, meek people are approachable. They're accessible. There's someone who's always willing and welcoming to have people around them. Next, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now this flows naturally from all the things that we've already seen. If you're poor in spirit, if you're grieving, if you're humble, it's not just that we're emptied then, we're longing for something. Okay, yes, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to bring. I see the effects of sin. What do we need? What are we longing for? Righteousness. The people for whom this beatitude is true long for righteousness, the way a starving person is longing for food. And what is righteousness? Well, it's not one thing. At its most basic level, it means being made right with God, individually, but also relationally. And even you might say globally, the world being put back to rights, being fixed, being healed. The person who longs for righteousness is longing for a world made right. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are hungering, who are spiritually craving more of the rightness of God in the world, a world free from the power and the presence of sin. Now he goes on, and I want to point out that the first four Beatitudes generally are describing our relationship to God. But now as we come to the final four, it pivots a little, and Jesus is describing character as it relates to other people. And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Ah, What is mercy? In the Bible, it's always deep feeling that leads to practical action. Mercy in the Bible means seeing brokenness, seeing pain, seeing hurt, and then doing something about it. It's not mercy just to feel bad for someone. It's mercy when that feeling bad propels you to sacrificial action on their behalf. So the best example of this, do you remember Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan? There's a man who was mugged and left for dead on the side of the road. And there was a priest and there was a Levite who walked by. And when they saw the man left for dead, they actually moved to the other side and kept on walking. But then there was a Samaritan who in the story was the outcast. He was the outsider. And in the story, the Samaritan, when he sees the man left for dead, he makes his way over and at great risk and cost to himself. He does everything he can to bind up the man's wounds and to bring him back to life. The priest and the Levite, when they saw that man left for dead, they asked the question, if I stop to help this person, what's going to happen to me? It was a selfish question. It was a self-absorbed perspective. But when the Samaritan saw the man left for dead, he said, if I don't stop to help this man, what's going to happen to him? And that's always the question of mercy. It's how do I see suffering and move towards it to bring relief? And Jesus says, The people in my kingdom for whom these beatitudes are true are a merciful people and other-centered people. Next, blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart. Sometimes when we hear the word pure or purity, we think about behaviors, sexual purity, maybe not using profanity. All those things are included. But the Greek word that Jesus uses for pure literally means clear at the center It means someone who's laser-focused, someone who's single-minded, who's completely committed to something and devoted to it at any cost. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, people who are so single-minded in their pursuit, not only of God, but of their relationships with other people, relationships of service and love and joy. It means that what you are in secret is what you are in public. I mean, imagine if the best version of you was the part that no one saw. That's what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about being pure in heart. There's no disjunction between what you are on the inside and what you are on the outside. Next beatitude, this is the seventh one. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are lovers of true peace, and there is such thing as false peace. False peace is peace faking because you're conflict averse you try to minimize and ignore and dismiss oh it's not a big deal oh that didn't really hurt everything's going to be oh they didn't mean it like that that's often just peace faking a kind of pseudo peace because of a desire to avoid conflict but jesus says no no bless are the peacemakers Those who are active reconcilers of people, those who are willing to put themselves in difficult and uncomfortable and messy situations and conversations for the sake of true peace, in which wrong is dealt with and justice is achieved and relationships are restored. The peacemakers are those who can not minimize or ignore hurt, but bring about restoration through confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And then, last, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Again, this last beatitude is shocking. Jesus says happy are the people who other people are unhappy with. But Jesus is talking about persecution for a very specific reason, righteousness. Now notice, hear me, Jesus is not saying blessed are those followers of mine who are obnoxious, irritable, objectionable, or fanatical. That doesn't deserve any blessing from Jesus, according to these beatitudes. But what he is saying is that if you follow me, you can expect some degree of hostility in your life. And righteousness, again, remember, it's multifaceted. So sometimes this is persecution because of things a person believes. Other times it's because of how you live. Other times still, it's the causes you stand up for, the cause of justice. And Jesus says, if you follow me, you can't expect some degree of persecution in your life. Now, that's the picture. Very quick overview of a subject that books upon books have been written about. And let me just say here, as we wrap up this part of our sermon, the picture that Jesus gives is promised with blessing. We haven't spent a great deal of time looking at it, but at the end of each of the Beatitudes, Jesus offers a promise And the summary of that promise, Jesus is saying, the people for whom these attributes are true experience the kingdom. The kingdom now and in the future. And hear me, when we talk about the kingdom and we talk about heaven, when we talk about the future that God is building for his people, he is not talking about floating around on clouds playing harps forever. That sounds really boring. What Jesus talks about when he talks about the kingdom and the promise of his kingdom means to be yourself forever. It means to experience love forever and to be with those that you love forever. It means a future that is more real and more physical than one that you could ever imagine. And Jesus says, those who are my disciples, those who are defined by these beatitudes, the promise is the kingdom now and in the future. That's what all those promises are about. So that leads us now to ask, and most importantly, well, if that's what those Beatitudes are, how can they be true of you? A couple of years ago, there was a college professor, and she gave an assignment to her literature class. And here was the assignment I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount and then write an essay summarizing what you think about it. So they read the Sermon on the Mount, they read the Beatitudes. And one student wrote in their essay, quote, I did not like the Sermon on the Mount. It made me feel like I had to be perfect, and no one is. Now that college student was actually onto something. Because when that student read these Beatitudes, pure in heart, poor in spirit, the meek, those who are true peacemakers, she said that's a description that is humanly speaking unattainable. No one can live like that. Who of us is up for this task to be all of these things all the time? This picture of discipleship, as beautiful as it is, is also, humanly speaking, kind of crushing. Which of us can live like this? That was the question that Dietrich Bonhoeffer asked. Remember earlier, we talked about his important book on discipleship. And he, as he encountered the Sermon on the Mount, as he encountered these Beatitudes, asked the question, Is there anywhere in the world where these traits are true? Is there any person, is there any community that is shaped by these values? And Bonhoeffer, I quote, said, yeah, there is one. It's on a little hill outside of Jerusalem, a hill called Golgotha. And Bonhoeffer writes, it is there that the fellowship of the Beatitudes is the fellowship of the cross. The fellowship of the Beatitudes is the fellowship of the cross. And what Bonhoeffer recognized, what I hope you'll see in just a minute, is that the Beatitudes describe the disciple only because they first and foremost describe the Lord himself. These Beatitudes are a picture of Jesus. And on the cross, as we see Jesus dying hanging there on that Roman cross, dying in the place of his people, what we actually see is the Beatitudes in action. Jesus is the ultimate man of the Beatitudes. And I mean that literally. If you look at the life of Jesus and if you look at the death of Jesus, what you see is that he himself actually perfectly embodied every single one of these character traits. And because he did, now the promises of these Beatitudes can be yours. So, for example, why will you be comforted? I mean, why will you have the comfort of God in the darkest moment of your life? It's because on the cross, as Jesus died in darkness, he cried out to the Father and his cry was left unanswered. You see, Jesus mourned so that we could be comforted. On the cross, how <laughs> Jesus says, I thirst. Literally experiencing not only physical thirst, but spiritual thirst. Why? So you could be filled with righteousness. Why is it that we will be shown mercy? Why is it that we stand in the very presence of God, we're received and accepted with grace? It's because on the cross, Jesus moved towards you as the ultimate good Samaritan, with real compassion. Not just at the risk of his life, but at the cost of it could go on. But the point is, Jesus is the ultimate man of the Beatitudes. And the only way that these things become true of you is to the degree that you know him, to the degree that you're in a relationship to him. So the application or the goal of a sermon like today is not buckle up, try harder, pull up your bootstraps and become these things. You can't do it. You can no more make yourself a person of the Beatitudes than a penguin can fly high into the sky. Just can't be done. The only way that you can actually begin to see these characteristics displayed in your own life is if God himself makes them true of you, because of your union with Jesus. And we give it a new nature. We've been given the Holy Spirit so that we can actually become a community that's marked with a kind of humility that says, we have nothing to offer, but God has accepted us anyway. We're genuinely interested in other people. We're humble. We're actually peacemakers. We know there's wrong and hurt, but we actively seek to reconcile and move towards people. We can be that kind of community because it's true of our Lord. And to the degree that we know him, to the degree that we're in him, these characteristics become true of us. And so what's the appropriate way to close a sermon on the Beatitudes? It's to do what we're about to do, to encounter Jesus and worship, to say nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Give me more of yourself, and as you do so, make these things true of me. Let's do that now as we pray together. Our God, thank you for meeting us today as we've begun our study in the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for these beatitudes which show us the ideals and the values of life in your kingdom. And Lord, we confess how woefully short we fall. So we ask that in this time of response, you would now bring us to Jesus, that you would meet us in your grace and that the promises and the presence of Jesus would be so transformative that we would become a community that actually reflects you in our city, that we would experience the forceful, powerful love of Jesus coursing through our veins for the good of the people around us and for the good of this community. Help it to be true now as we come to you in response, praying in Jesus' name. Amen.